Hey, do you want, want me to lead you on uh, some hi- interesting history of uh, Matt? Sure. I have a kidney stone right now, and it really fucking hurts. Oh, oh no. And this episode is going to be like passing a kidney stone. <laughs> <laughs> Spook easily, Starling. Not yet, sir. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, spins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. Hello, welcome back to the Waffle Press Retrospectives. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me is Matt Garingo. We're here to talk about the Hannibal Lecter series. We talked about Manhunter. We're going to talk about Silence of the Lambs. But Matt, what else are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the fact that this is the second time we've done this episode. <laughs> so folks at home, just so Diego can't get the wool over your eyes any longer. Uh, we, we, the Manhunter episode has been released. The Hannibal episode has been recorded. And we're redoing the Silence of the Lambs episode. I don't know what the fuck he did. Okay, so here's what happened. Here's what happened. I have been upgrading my computer, hard drives, uh, CPU. I got a whole new system going on with my PC. Good time to do that. Uh, yeah, it was great. In the middle of a retrospective. <laughs> well, it, it didn't lose anything else. I just I lost a, a, my backup folder. And I guess when I was saving all my Premiere files, because I edit on Premiere for these things, mm-hmm. uh, all the backups I have are gone, but all the originals are there. So where's the original? <laughs> with the exception of Silence of the Lambs. So what the fuck happened? <laughs> I, I don't know. The the public demands answers, Diego. <laughs> uh, well, this I got... administration promised more transparency. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking, we had all this great shit in the previous episode. I did this whole bit about Silence of the Hams with Don DeLuise, which I now cannot repeat. All of it has been lost to time. But you've, you deprived the, you've deprived the world of a great piece of art. You know, there we actually go. did have a really good episode. And it I- was. It was fucking fantastic. <laughs> I also let slip all my, like, intimate knowledge of serial killers, and I got a real reaction from Diego. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? whoa, it caught me on <laughs> so, guard. So uh, I will bet, but now I know to tone that down a little bit. So, so we've lost the realness of the original episode. We gotta, we gotta do it like Inyaritu. Just fucking get it for real. Make Tom Hardy choke a motherfucker. That's how you make movies. Yeah. That's how you get Oscars. Apparently. It's not like the Academy is easily impressed by stupid stunts. A Speaking good, of the Academy. Point, point. <laughs> uh, Silence of the Lambs won a bunch of Oscars the year it was released. It swept the Oscars. You people ever hear about that? Because it's fucking good. Did you know that one? But... It was uncommon, and it's still pretty uncommon. Get Out and Shape of Water were are horror movies that actually did really well this Oscars season, yeah. but that doesn't usually happen. Uh, like, no, it does all. not. Yeah. Did we record the... Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Another reason why that episode was great and then lost forever. We did it on Oscar night. Oh, fuck. And I was yeah. making all sorts of jokes about the Oscars. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, we're, we're here to talk about Silence of the Lambs. Uh, are we? Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little upset. It, it's fair. Uh, unofficial sequel to Manhunter. Um, it's, it's fucking good. Directed by Jonathan Demme. Uh, starring Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. 
You all, all definitely three of those that. people, all three of those people have done other movies. I'm like, bringing, I'm bringing the good shit tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have. They, they, they're actors and directors. They need to yes. make a living. Yes. People get paid for goods and services. Here's something though I left out of the episode, and this is something I really shouldn't have left out. Um, Gene Hackman wanted to play Hannibal Lecter. What? He got the ball rolling on doing a Silence of the Lambs movie because he was really interested in playing Hannibal Lecter. Wow, I had no idea about that. This is this is shocking. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Yeah, he would have been Lex Luthor and Hannibal Lecter, two of cinema's great villains. Yeah, both upstaged by Jesse Eisenberg. So Silence of the Lambs uh, continues the Hannibal Lecter mythos. Uh, introduced us to, to Clarice Starling. And it is, it's not a continuation from Manhunter, but it, it spiritually it is. It, In the books it, it, was, it, it is, but... If um, it was done today, it would be called a reboot. Yeah. Huh, how about that? Oh, my, a reboot has won an Oscar. A sequel C-boot. All these fucking names. Who gives fucking... <laughs> um, yeah, it was, this is the book. It was a sequel to the book Red Dragon, which was adapted into Manhunter. Uh, this, it's... The interesting thing is that uh, I think I pointed out in the Manhunter episode is that uh, they kind of set up like Bill Graham and Lecter as kind of a, you know, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty, like, you know, nemesis. And then Will Graham never shows up in any of the other books. And so we get a Clary Starling, um, which is an interesting. But it also I think it's easier for the audience because she's just an FBI trainee, and I think that's it helps ease us into this world of criminal profiling um, yeah, better than it's more, uh, it's more grounded. I think this approach it's because uh, Manhunter's very stylized. Uh, Silence of the Lambs is is subtly stylized. It's not in your face about. That we talk about a lot with this series, but like the the gothic horror aspect yeah, of it, it it really knows when to like because it, it, you can actually f- like feel the switch without it feeling jarring when it goes from being standard police procedural to you know straight up gothic horror. I mean, once you get to the institution where they keep Lecter, it's almost like an old dark castle. So with a deep secret hidden underneath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Um... It, it, it that's where it starts to get more more uh, hyper stylized and uh, it's it's the monster in the basement sort of thing, mm-hmm. which is which and is then really uh, you know Buffalo Bill's house is uh, straight out of fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, <laughs> and that's probably because they're both Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Buffalo Bill are inspired by the same guy. So. Uh, I think uh, Wisconsin's Ed Gein. I think he was from Wisconsin. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry uh, to Wisconsin if he's not from there. <laughs> I don't think anybody would want to claim that guy. A lot of serial killers have come from Wisconsin. There's something up there. <laughs> something in the water. Something. And those kid, those girls who stabbed their friend over uh, Slenderman are from Wisconsin. Oh, fuck. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. Um, so something's going on in Wisconsin. And uh, also, Rich Evans is from Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, well, that just—that's the—that's the missing link right there. More horrors. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know if you want to cut because, like, last time I got really dark. No, 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 it's all right. Uh, well, for those who don't know about Ed Gein, this is about to get a little dark. 
Um, he's called a serial killer, but they only ever proved that he killed two people. Um, but his main thing was grave robbing, and he would take uh, corpses and uh, skin them. And he uh, decorated his house with uh, the skins of uh, human beings. He had like lampshades made out of human skin and necklaces with like human teeth. You know, all that fun stuff. He also kept his mother's uh, um, corpse preserved in a room, um, which is referenced in this film briefly. And it's also referenced in the film Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, And he killed a woman and was like immediately caught. But, like, he was always known as, like, a local kind of weirdo. Like, a lot of people didn't really know about him. They didn't go near his house. And no one knew that deep inside he was making a, a, a woman suit out of skin. You know, like, every neighborhood's got one of those, like, creepy old houses that you kind of don't know too much about, but you pass it every day. Or you've heard stories about it. And then one of the stories that came out uh, about Ed Gein's house is that sometimes at night, people could see a ghostly woman dancing in the backyard. So that was uh that was probably Ed. So there you go, folks. That's scary as shit. I remember yeah. the story, but it's still scary as shit. It's it, it scares me telling it. It's fucking <laughs> terrifying. You know, ghost is like scary. <laughs> a ghost woman is scary. But then when you find out what it really is, it actually ends up being more terrifying. <laughs> so Ed Gein, you know, all American. Good and there's a couple uh couple inspirations for the Buffalo Bill character, including Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy did the thing where he'd fake an injury to get uh, help from a woman that he would then kill. Fucking piece of shit. And then Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, who would throw bodies into rivers. And then one of them, I guess, was the Green River. So he got the name the Green River Killer. Also, I should point out, these movies are essentially about, like, criminal profiling. And uh, I, I I think I mentioned briefly in the Manhunter episode that some people consider criminal profiling to be a pseudoscience. Yes, yes, you did. Um, none of these people were caught through criminal profiling. <laughs> they all get caught by like accident or by like evidence. Did I also did I mention the way BTK got caught in the episode we did? I, I don't think you did. I should tell that one. Okay, go ahead. Because <laughs> it's because it's great. All right. So BTK he killed like entire families. BTK was a real monster. He was the inspiration for the Red Dragon Killer, um, and he did it for like decades, and they could never catch him, and they tried everything, and he disappeared for like a full decade and then he started like writing letters to the police again saying like, Oh, I've got my next family picked out and I'm going to attack. And when I, uh, the world will soon know the fear BTK get again, all that, you know, bullshit. Then he wrote a letter to the news saying, Hey, if I send you a floppy disk, will you be able to trace my computer through the floppy disk? (laughs) <laughs> and the news was like, no, no, we wouldn't be able to, but they totally could. <laughs> so he gave them a floppy disk. And they checked and they figured out what computer it was last used on and who did it. And it was a guy named Dennis Rader, and it was at his he did it on his church's computer. Wow. Yeah. So fucking like they thought BTK was like this criminal mastermind. <laughs> fucking gets caught by that. <laughs> like the only reason he got away with it for so long was luck. And that's what most, so criminal profiling hasn't really ever caught anyone. It has been helpful in developing motive, which is an important thing if you go to trial. All of this is, is, is fantasy, even though it's dealing with very real, like, mm-hmm. murder. Yeah, um, it's, it's, the way all they go very about real, it. it's all very real stuff, but the whole idea of, like, these mastermind serial killers really isn't true. The only one that was kind of that way was, like, Ted Bundy. 
he was just a fucking like he was like the devil. He was like the worst human being ever. It, it, it he benefited from growing up in a time where we didn't have the resources that we do now. Now it's very easy to catch serial killers. Oh. Although I'm guessing the best serial kill out, killer out there, no one even knows about. Well, thanks for that fucking <laughs> so, mental image. I should also mention a lot of them tend to operate in California. So you fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's only the Zodiac. Ted and the Cruz. night and the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, and the original Night Stalker who has not been caught. Oh, thanks for that. And was probably in his early 20s when he committed his crimes, so he's probably still alive. <laughs> oh, <fuck>. Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, I just read a book about him, so he's been on my mind lately. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing in my free time, Diego. I'm reading about serial killers. Oh, wow. So you're the perfect co-host for this, then. Yeah, hey. Speaking of serial killers, let's talk about the big man himself, Hannibal Lecter. Played by Anthony Hopkins. Yes. Um, his first time in the role. His first um, time, and he would later want it to be his only time, but that's for another podcast. Depends on the interview he gives. It depends on the interview he gives. Uh, basically, everything after, like, 2010, he's like, ah. Now that history hasn't been too kind to the sequels. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there was a lot of defense of both Hannibal and Red Dragon when they were both first released. One of those is just fucking bananas to me. Yeah. Well, I think it's because, really, they're both good. They're, they, I mean, Hannibal's got a fucked up story. <laughs> but Red Dragon's a very good story. So even if you're not, like, super into the filmmaking, it's still, like, a decent story. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Hopkins won an Oscar, and he's, like, in 15 minutes of the movie. I think he's yeah. barely in it more than the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. And he's in it about 16 minutes exactly, I think. Oh, wow. That's what I read. And so. he gives a hell of a performance. I mean, he's is very big and but also kind of creepy. Like he kind of just lasers in on Clary Starling when they first meet. Well, that's like that first meeting is one of the best moments in any movie. Yeah. I mean, it's just cuz like, you know, she's supposed to give a criminal profile of him. And also, I'm, you know, most audiences I'm guessing, including myself had not seen Manhunter before seeing cuz it's the same trick that gets pulled in Manhunter. Um, but Sounds of Lambs was probably the public's first introduction to Lecter, and you think she's like doing a fairly basic profile of him, and then he just turns the tables on her halfway through, where she calls, her, where he uh, calls her on some of her bullshit, and kind of gets to what why she's really there, and she doesn't even know why she's really there, and uh, so she's a little embarrassed by that. Even if you hadn't seen Manhunter or Manhunter didn't, didn't even exist, uh, the very telling statement when Lecter asks if she's one of Jack Crawford's it implies a, a long history there between the two. And that yeah. maybe she's not the first one he sent. Mm-hmm. And if you're an aficionado, you know he's referencing Will Graham, mm-hmm. who in the book, I believe, is mentioned. And I think he's like, he's been this, he got disfigured at the end of Red Dragon, so he doesn't go out very much anymore. So yeah, he gets stabbed in the fucking face, right? Yeah, I believe he gets stabbed right in the face. Yeah, so fuck. That would uh, that would ruin anyone's weekend. <laughs> yeah, and Manhunter's just like a slice across the face, and he's like, ah, oh, it's all right. Yeah, he gets the shit kicked out of him, and then he's like, all right, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but no, that that's that is an incredible first meeting. I could see someone being initially underwhelmed with Anthony Hopkins in this if they're just watching it for the first time now. Because even though it's, it, it is a very, like, Hollywood performance, it, it, it's played a little more quiet than I think someone might be used to. I guess. I think there's, like, 
if you if you've been built up that this movie's the Hannibal Lecter movie, you're gonna be very confused because he's a small part of the story, really. If you have the really shitty Blu-ray edition of Silence of the Lambs, he's like they replaced Clarice's face with his face. So again, people will be like, oh, Hannibal Lecter, Silence of the Lambs, and really he's not the he's just a very important character in the story. And I also mentioned that I think if this movie was released like today, people would complain about the fact that his like subplot where he escapes doesn't play into the main narrative entirely. Like that feels like something like audiences would walk away from and be like, oh, why, why even have it in the movie? <laughs> like a movie's a fucking che- checklist. Yeah, yeah, and that that checklist approach to movies is is bullshit. It's or more like more like a bingo board. <laughs> <laughs> if you get five in a row bingo you got a great movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a it's 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 more than just about like connecting pieces it's about telling a story and, and capturing a mood and it, it movies are more complicated than that i blame the nostalgia critic but yeah okay so clary starling uh, that's jody... not what the people are here for diego <laughs> here for hard truths uh jody foster is clary starling i forgot how good she was when i rewatched it oh, she's fucking great in yeah this. Uh, a perfect like even just like in sense of, of a performance she is the perfect counterpoint to anthony hopkins because he is like he's this big imposing evil figure and she's uh, I mean, physically, she's she's smaller, but she's resilient in a way that is more understated than I think people give her credit for. And I, I know I might get some shit for this, but I think Jodie Foster and an actress like Kristen Stewart are cut from the same cloth in that their performances aren't very, quote unquote, Hollywood, but they're very honest emotionally. I wouldn't have believed you a few years ago, but I, I agree now. Yeah. So... Um. Yeah, that's actually, you know what? She might actually make a good Clarice if they bring this thing back. Oh, fuck. I, I was even considering that, and now that's all I'm going to think about for, like, the yeah. rest of the episode. Her father was a cop and got shot. And that's what and that's part of what drives her. In the book, I think he was a mall security guard. <laughs> I don't think he was a cop in the book. Well, I mean, just they just wanted to streamline it, I'm sure, you know. And I think in the book there's like a whole thing made about the fact I think what happened was he like he cocked his gun like when he wasn't supposed to and that made the robber panic and shoot him. And I think that like has influenced Clarice in a way where like she's very like strict about following the rules. At least in the book, I think. I could be completely wrong. Um it's been a while since I read the book. It's a good book, by the way. So what does the silence of the lambs mean? Diego? Well, Clarice Starling has a conversation with Hannibal Lecter where in exchange for information, he wants to know about her past. And so she starts telling him about this night where she was staying at her uh, family's farm and she could hear the lambs crying out when they were getting ready for slaughter. And so she tried to save as many as she could, but she only got a little baby one. And so she ran off with it and she only made it like a mile or something like that, if I remember and uh, she got picked up by by a, a sheriff or something, and they they took her and the sheep back, and she could just hear them crying, and she couldn't do anything about it. In the book, she steals a horse. So where does the title come from in the book? Well, there are lambs, but they wouldn't leave, like in the book. Ah. Uh, so she just she 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 gets on a horse and rides away. That's. Uh... And she ends up, I think, in an orphan asylum or something like that. An orphanage. 
I guess they don't call them orphan asylums. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think they do that. I don't think that's a term people use, except me, just now. <laughs> I wanted to let you know, we got, like, really deep and analytical last time. <laughs> and we're all making points that, like, I was like, Dago was making great points, and I was making points that were good, and it was, like, awesome. And uh, that hasn't happened this time. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I want to talk about Jack Crawford real quick. Okay. <laughs> Um, Jack Crawford, played by uh, Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn, who played John Glenn in a movie. And uh, Jack Crawford in the book is more kind of like just tired <laughs> and doesn't want to uh, be doing what he's doing. Um, in this, he's much more of, he's almost like a surrogate father to Clarice. And even Cl- Clarice kind of recognizes this and is kind of put off by it. Yes. <laughs> no, no, thanks. no. <laughs> thanks. I fucking threw the ball into your court. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, you, you bring up a great point with that, and he's the only one that doesn't like leer over her. Well, she, well, he does a little, uh, a, a little, yeah, and, and he uh, uses her in very uh, ways that are wrong to do. <laughs> but compared to to how everyone else makes her feel, I, I think the the camera treats his perspective of her nicer than everyone else kind of but like he's, he's still not uh it's friendlier definitely yeah it's friendlier but uh he's got an agenda too but it still shows that it's similar to i mean like you know he looks at her the same way lecter looks at her yeah just that camera just placed mm-hmm. right in front of her it's, it is so uncomfortable the way that uh demi places the camera on the i don't know if you get this feeling but lecter's camera seems to feel less judgmental like the blocking on him as the movie goes on. No, I, I totally agree with that. Because he's a, he's a fucking monster too. But I could see why she would start confiding in him. More so than just to get information. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that really treats her as, like, with with respect. In his own way, you know? After uh, being a real dick to her the first time around, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And, um... You really get the sense, like, with, with everyone. There's that, that great shot in the elevator after Clarice comes into the FBI offices after her uh, run. And then it's just all these guys, like, tower over her. And they're all kind of just, like, leering at her while she has to just wait for the elevator to go up to see Crawford. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, well, that's a great moment. but it's This movie, actually not this movie, the fact that we, we talked about it a lot in the original episode that is now lost forever. Um, but watching Hannibal... Uh, made me appreciate how much of that is told visually in this work because we'll get the handle but it deals with gender politics in a very clumsy way whereas this there's never really like a scene that draws that much attention to it maybe the scene with all the the local cops um where it's i think it's the most underlined um but they really and they also kind of get you know clarice's like like the inner, her her feelings that are very like direct in the book, you can just feel them on the screen here with how she is framed in comparison to all her male colleagues. Even like in little scenes, like her training sequence where she fucks up for like a second. It's like a it's like a thirty second shot. I don't know how to even where uh, the guy puts the gun at the back of her head and gives her shit for not checking the corner, and then is like to the other guys like you did a good job, but you you're dead, Clarice. Yeah. And, there's like there's all these there's all these weird like male power plays going on. There's even a scene where a bunch of dudes running past and like look at their ass. 
Remember that? Yeah. Uh, I like that she has a, a basically another confidant, you know? Just another woman oh, yeah. dealing with the same shit as she does, who doesn't get involved with the case at all. Just another person in this world. Like, not all movies need to do this, mm-hmm. but I think for a story like this and a character like Clarice, it's it's nice to have that feel more full, you know, like a full experience. Well, it's good for movies to admit that women have friends. Yes. Of the same gender. Because <laughs> that doesn't seem to happen enough in movies. Thinking about it, did she have, like, a confidant? She didn't have a confidant in, like, uh, Hannibal at all, did she? No, in Hannibal, it's her against the world. Does she talk to another woman at all in Hannibal? Holy fuck, I don't think she does. That's That's crazy. I'm thinking there might be one scene where she's talking with, like, a bunch of different investigators at once, but that's, like, very brief. I think there might have been another one. I can't think of a single one. Holy shit. So, uh... We'll get to our thoughts on Hannibal next time, but... Yeah. It's a good good little preview for what we might have been talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, there's such a drop-off in that department. Because like I'm saying, like I said, like there's that scene where these guys are running past them where like they kind of check them out, these joggers. But it, there's not like that much attention drawn to it. Like it's it's impossible to miss, but it's not like this big thing. It's not like, you know, if there was a cut there and we cut to the guys and then we cut back to the women, it would have taken up more of our mind. But instead it just becomes like this thing. It's like, oh, this is the reality of what she lives with as opposed to like a dominating thing. Um. Because I think some filmmakers, not to say who, but some filmmakers seem to think that, like, sexism only exists as, like, very obvious things and not, you know, the more subtle, I guess, what they call microaggressions, which it, it usually is. Uh, have you seen Rachel Getting Married? Um, No, I haven't. I've heard yeah. it's very good, though. Yeah, it is very good. That's another Jonathan Demi movie. And mm-hmm. Okay, this is what I wanted to bring up. We're kind of hopping around this time, but I think we finally got a groove going, so whatever, fuck it. Jonathan Demi's... You better not cut anything that is happening. <laughs> Jonathan Demi's trajectory as a director is very... Uh, you can't really trace like a through line. He just does movies that like interest him, I guess. And they're all very interesting on their own, and they're all very different. And Rachel Getting Married, I think it's one of the only other ones I, I've seen, but just like by looking up what he's done, you, you can kind of tell he's... He's got a great career. Yeah, he's very uh, eclectic tastes. And with Rachel Getting Married and Sounds of the Lambs, I think he's one of the few male directors who's like able to understand as much as they can the the female perspective and mm-hmm. how to, to fully tell a story that doesn't feel like it has the male gaze over it, you know? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's very, seems good in that department. He also did uh, Ricky and the Flash, I think was his last movie. I never saw that, but I'm a. Big... I actually, I actually liked it. Diablo Cody, I love Diablo Cody, and yeah, she's a uh, she she's a good shit. writer. Yeah, she gets a lot of shit, but I, well, because like Juno was like such a thing. Oh, yeah. I like Juno. I, I like Juno too, but it became. But like, do you remember when like people were like, "Wow, this is really like authentic as to how teenagers speak." Yeah. <laughs> and I saw that when I was a teenager. Yeah, me too. And I was like, I was "Well, a, no, I was a freshman." Okay. In high school, and I'm like, no one talks like this. <laughs> but, like, it's like it's just kind of stylized, and I don't think people got that. Hey, she's got an Oscar. Good for her. I hope she gets, keeps doing more movies. Yeah, me too. Quality writer. Maybe she'll get Jason Reitman to make a good movie again. Because <laughs> it's been a while. I just got a message from my friend Shannon asking if she wants me to help design her um, Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Shannon. <laughs> Keep this in the episode. 
That I will keep in the episode. My good friend, Shannon. And Ethan is still a fucking dick for not liking Manhunter. <laughs> Uh, so. Daniel Daniel Doherty. Do- I hope I said that right. Daniel, tell me if I didn't say it right. Uh, he didn't like Manhunter that much when he first saw it, but he said he's going to rewatch it. So fingers crossed. Hey, fucking better, you coward. <laughs> but yeah, Jonathan Demme's a, a quality director, and uh, yeah. it's rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's so funny. I mean, the man died. Did he? <laughs> Wait, what? Jonathan Demme died, like, last year. What the fuck? Oh, shit, that's right. You didn't know that? I totally forgot. I thought you were laughing just because I said that really awkwardly. <laughs> well, it was awkward, but I totally forgot. I was about to say rest in power, but... <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, wow. Uh, that's, like, that's like laughing at 9-11. What? How could you? <laughs> that's kind of a Norm MacDonald bit. I kind of That's just me doing Norm. <laughs> I think Norm Macdonald would do as Hannibal Lecter. Oh, he'd be great. <laughs> he would just he just confuse people by going on like long tangents, and then by the end he would be like, "Haha, I've escaped." <laughs> <laughs> but but it was a tragedy. <laughs> Did you just spill water? I heard water spill. No, I was trying to take a drink from my tea, and I almost spit it out. <laughs> that would have been great. Fucking <laughs> make you choke to death in the middle of an episode. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, we were gonna. I was gonna try to shift it to Buffalo Bill. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about Buffalo Bill at all yet. Yeah. I'll let you talk about the elephant in the room on this one. <laughs> Buffalo Bill is a character who has not aged well, and as good as the rest of this movie is, it is something that even Jonathan Demme talked about uh, after its release, after he faced criticism for it. Well, and... so you say in it that he hasn't aged well, but there was backlash to it like almost immediately. Like, it, it isn't a new thing for people. Like, we try to pretend when people get outraged about stuff that it's new, but it's really been going on forever. It seems the main difference is that now people are actually listening. Yeah. People, like, we all, like, shit talk social media and stuff, but it's it's been a good tool to bring forward, like, justifiable points of discussion, like Buffalo Bill. Yeah, you, know? you can see, like, you get... I know a lot more people that I would not have known without social media. Yeah, that's, we wouldn't be doing this show. Yeah. And I, I hate I would hate to think if I lived in a world where uh, Buffalo Bill was the closest I got to understanding what a transgendered person was. And honestly, for some people, that's, that's as far as they, they're even willing to mm-hmm. go, this, this fictional creation, you know? Well, I mean, fictional, but we are, like I said, this is actually based a little in fact. Um, with Ed Gein was trying to make a woman suit for himself to wear, much like Buffalo Bill was. But uh, this movie does very much it because it, it brings up the transgender thing more, um, and it makes a very clear point that uh, Buffalo Bill is not transsexual; that he thinks he's transsexual, but he really isn't. Which is that's uh, its whole own can of worms. Yeah. yeah like uh, like telling someone that you think you're transsexual, but you're not. In response to the critiques, Demi replied that Buffalo Bill. Quote, wasn't a gay character. He was a tormented man who hated himself and wished he was a woman because that would have made him as far away from himself as he could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Demi added that. He came to realize that there's a tremendous absence of positive gay characters in movies. So he was, he recognized the complaints and I think at least addressing them is is important. Doesn't mean it's, it's enough, but that he took that extra step is... Nice. Mm-hmm. Even if it was it, just PR. Like, even if the most cynical version of that is just PR, 
it's it's nice to have someone say that. Well, in a day and age where we do have filmmakers that would literally respond with "grow up," <laughs> it's good to see. Yeah, like um, it'd be crazy if someone remade Death Wish, given our current political climate and how guns are killing Americans faster than any, anything else on the planet, basically. And then you respond with, "Hey, it's just a movie, man." Yeah, it'd be, it'd be weird if you didn't like at least give it like this meta edge to it, or like you know tried to find a way to make it comment on how we glorify these type of revenge killings yeah. and what that might be doing to society. Instead, glorifying it itself. Instead of just making a fucking movie. Yeah. Because when I want to go to a movie, I want to get to the end of it and be like, "That was just a movie. <laughs> That'll make me remember it." <laughs> I thought you liked Ant-Man. I will break you. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like pointing out that like, like you can trace back like the gay as serial killer thing, like back to Psycho, which is like the first slasher film. Because, you know, Norman Bates dresses up as his mother. Once you notice, though, that like villains are so often coded as gay, like it's impossible not to see. I don't remember what show it was, but it was like from the 60s or something like not NYPD Blue, because that's, that's relatively new. But, like, one of those old-school cop shows where they were doing, like, some investigation into, like, these neighborhood hoodlums or something like that. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're smoking uh, the marijuana and drinking the alcohol. The reefer. The reefer. Drinking alcohol and participating in homosexual activity. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, what the fuck? Uh, I saw one of those, like, 50s, like, you know like stranger danger like videos and it basically used the term pedophile and homosexual interchangeably holy fuck yeah and this is stuff they showed the kids in school oh fuck so if you want to know why your why your parents are a little fucked up <laughs> this is the stuff the government was teaching them jesus christ yeah. yeah and if you don't think art influences society you're wrong <laughs> yeah Although now it's like it, it's weird when it gets that co- when that coding gets so deep. Like, does it still affect how people view things? I think like like Buffalo Bill's a little different, but like you get like characters like I think like like some like Radigan from fucking the Great Mouse Detective is <laughs> fucking like got like some coded gay stuff going on with them. But like, would anyone pick up on that if they didn't know? I I didn't know. You don't. Yeah, you so- can't tell. I haven't seen it. He's since voiced like by fucking grade. Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it since I was in eighth grade, so that's my excuse. I guess I'll. I feel like a whole chorus of dudes that just sing his praises. <laughs> I mean, like, who doesn't want that, though? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I so I want to enter every room. <laughs> yeah. Except I'd exchange the men for porgs. And mm-hmm. listen to them going. Yeah. You know, porgs were only put in to, like, cover up all the, the birds that were on that yeah, island. Yeah, fucking puffin. That's great. That's the best <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my entire life. That is, that is beautiful. <laughs> That's fucking movie making right there, folks. That's art from adversity right there, you fucks. <laughs> Fuck Jaws. It's about Star Wars The Last Jedi. Yeah, it's about fucking puffins fucking up your shot. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that's a stroke of genius. But in order to track him down... She'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. 
just do your job, but never forget what he is. But he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So Buffalo Bill is a very problematic character. Yeah. That doesn't change the fact that he still is pretty terrifying in this film. Ted Levine. Yes. As James Buffalo Bill Gum is so good. So fucking good in this movie. And still scary as shit. Puts the lotion on his skin or else it gets the hose again. Oh, that whole sequence where he's he's making uh, the senator's daughter rub the lotion over her body. And then, like, she starts screaming when she sees the bloody finger scratches and the nails in the, mm. the well. And he just starts imitating her screams. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I, I forgot how scary this movie was, too. Like, I, I think it's scarier than Manhunter, for sure. Manhunter is creepy at times. But it's more of like a, a mood piece that I can kind of watch casually or just be totally mm. honed in on. Silence of the Lambs, it makes me pay attention to it. If you go in clean, this is a terrifying film. Yeah. Like, I think it was my, my dad told me he saw this in theaters and people actually walked out. It was so scary. Um, I, yeah, because I mean, before this, uh, it, it, it really wasn't anything like it in terms of the serial killer genre stuff. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of their... I mean, Seven's like a couple years after this, so... It kind of becomes a bigger thing, because then you, eventually it gets really dumb with stuff like The Cell. I, I never saw that, actually. He, they go into a serial killer's dreams. Turns out he was abused as a child. Oh, wow. I'm noticing a trend here. We really needed a machine to tell us that. <laughs> it's not like that's a factor in, like, 90% of serial killers. <laughs> But yeah, this this movie is horrifying, and I think specifically the the end sequence, which is so intense, when Starling finally goes up against a uh, Buffalo Bill, but she doesn't rec- she doesn't know it yet, mm-hmm. and how that sequence plays out, where they neither of them know who the other really are yet, mm-hmm. and uh, what they're capable of, and so the the geography when they when Demi well, establishes they- the shot with like the gun on the counter the the kitchen counter. And then they're both on the other side of the room, and oh fuck, that is so intense! I was like clenching my seat watching that again. And first, before that, you get the fake out with how you think they're bra- the, the FBI has found Buffalo Bill's home, and then it turns out they're in the wrong place, and that's edited together really well. Um, and then because like I mean, you kind of get the feeling that the FBI isn't really going to get him in that moment because like what movie would end like that? But what you probably aren't thinking is that it's Clarice showing up at his house alone. Um, which is a great reveal. And I also love, one of the things I really love about that is that, like, the first two rooms of Buffalo Bill's house look fairly normal. <laughs> and then, like, as you, like, just start entering it, like, it gets more and more fucked up. Like That's such a good, like, way of using production to help visually tell your story, too. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it seems, it's, it's a little messy, but, you know, it's not nothing to be worried about. But yeah. you go further into the house, it's just like, holy fuck, this is, like, a prison. He's got a fucking dungeon somehow. I don't know how he has a dungeon that fucking big underneath that house, but hey. I gotta say, the little shimmy that Buffalo Bill does when he pretends to give himself up and runs away is one of my favorite moments in cinema history. When he drops the cards? When he drops the cards, and then he kind of, like, hits the counter as he's running out the room. The terrifying Buffalo Bill. (laughs) It's almost like someone yoinks him off screen. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, what do they use? That that old, like, uh, cane to... People off stage. Yeah, it's a fucking night at the amateur night at the Apollo. (laughs) Um, And the sequence beneath the house. (laughs) 
I uh, know, but um, <laughs> Buffalo Bill is not wearing socks in that scene. Is he not? He's not. He's in his bare feet, and I always found that odd. Does that make him more quiet? I don't know. I just think he's a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think everything needs a bigger explanation for that guy. <laughs> it, it's uh, it's different from uh, Francis Dollarhide, where you you compared him to the the movie theater ticket ripper. It's like uh, yeah. There's, there's a little they're a little off. But this guy is just like, holy shit. Yeah, this guy is one uh, you report the flight attendant to. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what pain is. Because the last thing you see before the lights go out is the body that's decomposing in the bathtub. And this might be a callback to a film, um, Wait Until uh, Dark, with Audrey Hepburn, where she plays a blind woman that's being terrorized by these robbers. And she lives in a basement. Um, she's blind, so she doesn't need the windows. And there's a scene in it where the lights go out, and you only hear what's happening. Go watch it, because like, the, the scene that happens after the blackout scene is one of the genuinely great shock moments in all of cinema. Like, I, like, I like, fucking freak the fuck out. <laughs> will it make my head spin, like, uh, don't look now? It won't make your head spin, but you will, like, you. it's one of those, like, oh my god, I almost got hit by a car moment. <laughs> okay. I basically, like, lost my equilibrium after I saw that movie. That's a, that's like, a, a I had that ending spoiled for me, though. Oh, that sucks. You know, Silence of the Lambs won five Oscars. <laughs> so close to the way you're going to catch him. Do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't speak easily. You call this easy, sir? Lester's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? Man, we didn't well, mention that Dr. Chilton is in this movie. No, we did not mention Dr. Chilton. Oh, there we go. He's in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a character this time than Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, man, he's in Manhunter, but for like two seconds. Yeah. Because How, like, all right. Like all Michael Mann movies, he is a man at work, and explain, that's it. Explain to me how Hannibal Lecter escaped, because he stole, he stole Chilton's pen, right? I don't think we see the scene when he actually takes it, but, like, you know, there's a scene where Chilton can't find his pen, and we get that close-up on Lecter. Oh, visual storytelling. Yep, that's something we will not see again for a while <laughs> in this series. That still actually, works, totally. we will see it next week. It's just kind of hit you, hit you over the head with a frying pan. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I wish I said this during the episode. It, but it would be like if you got a more subdued version of Michael Bay to make to adapt Hannibal. That's kind of Ridley Scott's thing. Yeah. Oh no. Which usually works for me. It only works for me on occasion. <laughs> anyway, like Alien Covenant. Uh, no. Last time you brought up a very interesting point with the I did. Stalking <laughs> the stalking sequence beneath the house where uh, Buffalo Bill has the, clearly has the upper hand on Clarice and he almost kills her. He almost touches her. And if he hadn't have been a total fucking creep and like breathed on her and just like almost touched her with his bare hands he could have killed her but because he fucks up like that for being a fucking creep and a monster she gets to jump on him instead and just unloads into his chest wow that's a good point i can't believe i made that (laughs) (laughs) but uh, it's a very satisfying Shooting did I really say that last time? You did, yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, it's a satisfying death for a villain, and it uh, 
There's no tragedy to this like there kind of is with Francis Dollarhide. It's just yeah, Francis Dollarhide's given more humanity than uh, the Buffalo Bill. Yeah, Buffalo Bill is played basically just like a monster. Yeah, he's pretty much. And I mean, and both the books actually humanize all the killers a lot more because um, we get like more like history with them. That would be difficult to go into in a movie. Even Lecter is given. I would think Lecter is given too much backstory almost. Because even to today, we don't totally know what makes a serial killer. We just know, like, what signs there are. And uh, usually they experience some sort of abuse that maybe influences how they abuse others. So, and if you've seen Hannibal Rising, you know that... Yeah. I don't. I don't remember the movie. Oh, my God. Oh I know my they God. brought it up on this show a little bit. They've talked Because, like, Hannibal the book goes into his history, but... Uh, I'd never read Hannibal Rising the book, and I don't remember the movie at all. I remember the movie. It sounds like something I shouldn't be. I shouldn't want to watch. No, <laughs> but sounds we're gonna. Like, it's and it's over two hours. I can't fucking believe that. But something interesting happens at the end of this movie while the rest of this stuff has been playing out. Uh, Hannibal Lecter escaped at one point, and. It kind of doesn't make that much logical sense. I mean, it, it's, it's played enough to where you can keep up with what's happening. Well, I this guess, is a like, movie where a dude cuts another man's face off and uses that <laughs> to fucking escape. And you totally buy it because this movie has won you over by then. <laughs> and it's scary as shit when he mm-hmm. rises in the ambulance just slowly like fucking Michael Myers from Halloween. I mean, think of how awkward that would have landed. If, like, the movie hadn't really won you over by then. Like, think about, like, if this movie had ended with, like, someone's, like, exposed brain while they were still alive. And, like, <laughs> that would a prolonged, be stupid. A prolonged sequence involving that. But, like, you know, it. but the movie hadn't won you over. It would have felt really dumb. It's funny that you bring that up. For no particular Why? reason yet. <laughs> and, yeah, so uh, Hannibal Lecter escapes. And Clarice understands their relationship to that point so well. That she understands that because there is an odd respect between the two mm-hmm. that he will not go f- come after her because she didn't show him kindness, but she showed him understanding and empathy, something that he's not familiar with up to this point. And I, I always thought that was so interesting, the relationship between these two characters. Well, I think it's more that she just she opened up to him more. And he would consider it rude to be like, hey, if you open that up that much, then it would be rude for me to, like, come after you. <laughs> but he does kind of make it clear that, like, if you come after me, I'll probably kill you. <laughs> Which is a little odd considering his behavior in the next film. Logically speaking, the movie doesn't even make sense, the next one. It's, it's the whole bag of worms which we talk about. This was, uh, we had a great time with good old Mason Herger. <laughs> Well, we just talked about one of the most important films <laughs> in cinema history. And I'm feeling pretty good about it. I don't know about you. I am so sorry to humanity for releasing this episode to you. Uh, this was great. Uh, this is going to be a short-ass episode. It should be like five minutes. <laughs> Diego, I only want you to keep in the stuff that matters. Delete all the bullshit. <laughs> So we're looking at like an hour 30, hour 35. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
So yeah, Pat, Silence of the Lambs. Would you recommend it to people uh, before yeah. or after watching Manhunter? Oh, all right. I would maybe start here because that's what I did. I would go. I would. My re- watch order would be Silence of the Lambs, Manhunter, Hannibal the film, and then Hannibal the TV series. Oh, Matt, but isn't there another adaptation of No! Thank you, Glory. Thank you. We're leading into the Hannibal episode, but really, we're leading into the Red Dragon episode. Yeah, fuck. Uh, uh, Hannibal, up next, directed by Sir Ridley Scott, one of the most controversial directors on this podcast, because otherwise, he's pretty much critically acclaimed. He's, like, one of the most well-regarded directors in the industry, and I talk shit about him constantly. (laughs) Well, I think that's super interesting, though, because I I can leave this in the episode. He's one of the most well-regarded directors in the industry like you said but in places like film twitter and like between movie fans a lot of people actually don't like a lot of his work yeah i don't know he's he's a, he's, he's a can of worms that one he's a he's a mystery he's a mystery. gotta cut that head open and get into his brain maybe feed it to some pigs yep Maybe uh, push a guy in a wheelchair over into <laughs> a fit of things. Matt, where can the people find you before we butcher this shit anymore? <laughs> I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. Follow I'm me at... for more irreverent shit like this entire episode. <laughs> I'm at D-E-G-O Waffles. Waffle Press on Twitter. Like, subscribe. If you didn't like, like and subscribe anyways. And see if we find something you do like. Check out the Patreon. Fuck off. <laughs>